0: Today's scripture is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning um, desiring some type of taste of what we just heard read. There's all kinds of divine activity and there's all kinds of people in this room at varying places on their journey with faith um, that some may say, God, if you're real, uh, we'd like to touch you in some of your activity God, most of us in this room feel like we know you at some level, but God, we want more of you. And God, I pray that that which is in us that wants more, uh, you would create a deeper appetite and that you would be the spring that fills us up, as you tell us in the Bible, welling up. To eternal life God that we may live in the reality of eternal life today and not just wait for the future God as we um, say we don't want to just wait for the future we also don't want to look back to the past and say wow that was amazing then God work in amazing ways now in Christ's name we pray amen so the Pew Research Center how many of you guys have heard of the Pew Research Center reckons that by 2050, one in three of the world's Christians will be African. That's a profound stat. By 2050, Pew Research says that one in three Christians will be African. That's not typically the way we think about Christianity. Christianity. We typically think about Christianity, and rightfully so, um, because where we sit on the historical map of Christianity, we have known it for the past few centuries to be centered in the European and kind of North American realities. The reality of the trajectory of what's happening now is there's more people of color, if you want to say that, who are Christians now than even Western Europeans or Westerners Pew also says that it's not just one in three Christians, but actually six in ten Christians, so more than 50% of all Christians will either be African, Latin American, and Caribbean by that time. And the way in which these people are coming to faith in the Caribbean, and coming to faith in Latin America, and coming to faith in hordes in Africa is very, very similar today to this first convert, African convert, this first African convert that we see here in the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch. They're coming to faith through extraordinary measures, measures that we would say, most of us would say we haven't tasted, we haven't seen, we haven't touched, and yet they're coming to faith in hordes which would submit to us that what we see in this passage is actually the old normal. You guys ever heard the phrase, the new normal? This is new normal. My wife and I... um, Went on a journey about starting about seven years ago. Her mother was diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer, which is a breast cancer that's not tumor based, it's tissue based. Uh, They gave her a very short time to live, but then said, uh, We've seen people live up to seven years. I'm sorry, I guess this would have started about 11 years ago um, when it began. We've seen people live up to about seven years. Her journey was seven years and five years ago she passed away. But as we began to engage in this and see her mom take on chemotherapy, take on extreme radiation, we'd look at each other and go, okay, I guess this is just the new normal. And many of us will begin to say that, but we should never say that about our faith We should never look at what happens to us in the West that seems void of what we may verbalize as the supernatural and go, oh, this is just the new normal. The new normal lives from the neck up, kind of all in the head and only in the head. And we can't expect to see these things happen. Because if we're Christians that really believe this is the word of God, we will believe in the old normal, an old normal that says God is everywhere active all the time. The old normal that says that God's activity is intensely personal. He's everywhere active all the time. It's intensely personal and it's consequential. That's a reality that we see here portrayed in this passage that we're going to get into today. Is that the old normal is that God's everywhere active all the time. That he acts in intensely personal ways. And that the when he acts... It's consequential. So let's get into this. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now stop there. Okay, right away, let's just be honest. You got to be honest with the Bible when you're reading it. For most of us, that's weird. Not certain about you, but I've never had an angel of the Lord directly appear to me and tell me to do something. Now, there's something you have to understand about angels if you're going to get this passage. The book of Hebrews, when it explains who angels are, explains it in such a way that we would never seek to worship the angelic realm, but understands that angels angels are real and they're ministering spirits of God, servants of God who are sent to fulfill his task and accomplish his purposes. So right away, you see that the first agent on the scene is an angel of the Lord, which means the Lord is moving. C.S. Lewis um, has this series that children are to read called the Chronicles of Narnia. And Aslan, the lion in this series is the Christ figure. And there's a statement Lewis says about Aslan that Aslan is on the move. God's on the move. God is everywhere, everywhere. Hear these words, everywhere active all the time. Think about this for a minute. The Bible presents a world that you cannot get away from is supernatural, not some of the time, but all of the time. For this is the world that God made. In fact, he didn't just make it. He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let there be birds, and there were birds. Let there be cheetahs, and there were cheetahs. Let there be male and female, and there was male and female. And he said, this is very good. But God didn't just make the world. The Bible tells us that he upholds the world by the word of his power. Said another way, in him, all things consist. Which means hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. Some things, not some things, all things hold together. That means the chairs that you're sitting in are being held together, not because of brilliant engineers. They played a part. Not because of the brilliant designers, but they're held together because of God. Your very bodies don't just hold together because they hold together. They hold together in God. That's why the Apostle Paul can say it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. The world that we live in, no matter how many people try to explain it away, is a spiritual world, is a supernatural world, is a world chock full of the divine. Herman Boving says every atom of the universe is screaming of the glory of God. John Calvin took up that line and said, because that's true, because everything is created by God and upheld by God to the pious mind and of a pious heart. Pious just means godly, to one who really is formed by the scriptures, they may be able to say rightfully that nature is God. Now that's insane. That was John Calvin, by the way, not Deepak Chopra. Okay? John Calvin said that. So he's not a pantheist who's saying worship nature. He's saying God is so Imminent in the midst of the world. Imminent means in the midst of, everywhere present. He's so in it that if you rightfully understand it, you'd never worship a tree, but you could go, God is so everywhere that Paul can say again, in Him, we live and move and have our being. God is everywhere present and He's everywhere active all the time. God doesn't decide to just move sometimes, He moves. He speaks and things happen. It's all over the Bible. And here he tells an angel, go to Philip. Now imagine for a minute, just reality who Philip is. Philip's a normal, normal guy who encounters God in an extraordinary way, becomes a part of the church. The church sees that there's discrimination in its ranks. Go back and read Acts chapter 7. There are widows who were Jewish Hebrew widows that are being cared for, but the Hellenist Greek widows are not being cared for because of discrimination. The church says this isn't consistent with the gospel, so we're going to appoint seven to really deal with this. Philip was one of those who were going to care for the poor widows and ensure that Hebrew widows and Hellenistic widows, Jews and Gentile widows would be cared for because it was a declaration of the gospel. But then God begins to do extraordinary things around him and great things are happening through the ministry of Philip. And I would submit to you that Philip at points was as surprised as everybody else that was out there, as surprised by Simon, but he knew God was acting. He knew that it wasn't him. He knew himself and he knew this wasn't true. In my sense, just like the reality of you and I, that there are moments we see God do palatable things in real ways and we go, I feel it and it's real. And then there's times in your life where you wonder. And there's seasons of that. But reality is there's hour by hour truths to that experience. You feel like in this moment, I'm for sure a believer. I know I'm a believer. And the next moment you're going, do I really believe this? Like, this is kind of crazy. So my sense is Philip's in a season where he's hearing God louder than all the others. There's this worship song that I um, like the words, and it's given me words to pray this prayer of, Lord, may your voice be louder, and may your words be clearer than all the others. Philip's in that season. But he's still probably going, Lord, where do you want me to go? To the left or to the right? Where should I go? And an angel of the Lord appears to him because God will fulfill his purposes. The prophet Isaiah said, God's purpose will stand. What's the purpose of God? Well, God made all of this that we live in. And yet it fell in sin and listened to an alternative voice. And it's brought havoc. Unbelievable consequences of darkness upon our world that we see this morning when churches are bombed in the name of God. Where kids have horrific diseases, where you do the things you don't want to do and the things you want to do, you don't do. And it's all a part of this world that's fallen in sin. And God says, it won't stay like that. This is my world. I will receive the glory. And Jesus will wed his people. His purpose will stand. So he calls forth an angel of the Lord to go to Philip. He says, rise and go to the South. Now I want you to see how crazy this story is. The word South can be translated two different ways. Go to the South. Or go there at noonday. Sounds kind of crazy, but bottom line of what commentators will say is they're going to a deserted place. It says this directly, a very hot place in the middle of noon. So go to this place, go south to this deserted place from Jerusalem to Gaza. Take the most unlikely path. This is one value of Bible study, but the path from Jerusalem to Gaza was a path nobody would take. Take the most unlikely path to the most unlikely place, to a place nobody will go because there's nothing around it. And let me tell you, it is hot. Now, Philip's got to sit there at a certain moment and go, really, Lord? Is that you? Like, was that something? I don't think I haven't smoked anything in quite a while, right? Like, is that really you? Go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. But he's hearing God's voice louder and clearer at this season of his life. So he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. Now just stop for a minute and imagine this. Because here's what I want you to see. God is always acting. God is everywhere acting all the time. He acts and he sends an angel of the Lord to Philip. Go to an unlikely place. It's extremely hot. Nothing is around you. And he's just going. Now imagine Philip's walk. Right? Like, is this right? Because it's hot. I stink. I'm exhausted. What in the world is happening? But he's rising and going, Lord, you told me to go here. Lord, you told me to go here. Lord, you told me to go here. Bam. An Ethiopian. And he's got to go. Okay, Lord. Something is going to happen. Why do you have me here? Hear me on this. God is speaking intensely personal to Philip. He's showing up to Philip all the time. This is real. It's right. What you're experiencing, keep walking. But now what's he doing in the Ethiopian? Because it says this is an Ethiopian eunuch, right? That's a bummer of a calling. If you didn't, that's a castrated male is what eunuch means. A castrated male. Castrated males would serve many times up in royal courts. He was obviously doing that. He's working for the queen and overseeing all of her money. So at one hand, this is a bummer of a calling and a very compelling calling. He's got a lot of scratch and power at his fingertips. Scratch money, right? He's overseeing the treasury and he's in the queen's court. Philip comes up upon him. What? is in the heart and mind of this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, not a Hebrew, but yet one who went on his way to Jerusalem to worship, the passage says. He came upon an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. Why did he go to Jerusalem to worship? We don't know exactly. This very much may have been just the calling of a court official who oversaw the treasury department for the queen of Ethiopia to go to Jerusalem and represent them well. Many other people will say, actually, Ethiopians were, and eunuchs at times, were very intrigued by the things of faith. But they'd look at all kinds of stuff in the midst of it. So he might have just been showing up there to fulfill his responsibilities. He may have been showing up there because he was inquisitive. But then he goes on and he buys a scroll, which means he has a lot of money. The Bibles didn't exist in cheap form like you could just walk out of Redemption Peoria and as you walk out, pick up a Bible and then leave. And it wasn't nearly as compact as this is. These are scrolls. So as he's there, they're likely selling scrolls. He has the money. He's intrigued enough with what he's heard in the temple worship that he buys the scroll that contains the entire book of Isaiah. The printing press had not existed yet. So a scroll, these are big scrolls that they're unrolling, and he's beginning, the passage says, to read these things, which means he's intrigued. An Ethiopian eunuch. You cannot be a castrated male who's been mutilated by those in power and say, yes, I like this. You can't be a castrated male and just a human being that's being excluded from the worship of the temple so you can only stand in the court of the Gentiles and not be going to go, I wonder what's on the inside. You can't be a human being of any shape or form, male or female, and not have the deep questions of life what in the end is this all about? If there's a God I'd like to taste, God, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why can't we get along? Why are there bombs? Why am I not everything I hoped and wished I would be? What is it with this place? I'm convinced he's asking those questions. But that poses me another question. Where did this whole event start? Did it start with Philip? Did Philip, as he encountered God, begin to sit and pray and say, Lord, begin to initiate, open doors for the gospel? As Paul prayed? Paul says, pray for me that doors for the gospel would be opened. And did God hear those prayers and then begin to open doors, then call an angel of the Lord? Or did it start with the Ethiopian? Did the Ethiopian sit and go, God, if you're out there, and if there's a God, would you show me? Would you show up on my behalf? Because I have all kinds of questions. I don't know who it started with. It started with Philip or it started with the Ethiopian. The one thing I know from this passage that's blatantly, blatantly clear is it started with God. It clearly started with God. And it's sustained by God. Philip in this passage does very little except do what God says to do. The Ethiopian in this passage does very little except respond to what's moving inside of him. I'm intrigued by that. I'll buy this. I'm intrigued by this. I'll read on my way home. And as the spirit said to Philip, Philip's walking along, he says, go over and join this chariot. So it says in verse 28, just before what I read, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran over to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how possibly could I unless somebody guides me? Two observations really quick. It seems very likely that this Ethiopian eunuch pays some substantial amount of money to get this scroll. Most folks wouldn't be able to have it. He's in a chariot, which shows he's wealthy. He's reading it, which shows he's intrigued. There's no way he's not reading it and going, This all is like Hebrew to me, and I don't, I'm not even certain what the heck this is saying. And he probably at that moment goes, Lord, could you send somebody to guide me? Would you show up and tell me what this means? The Spirit of God moves Philip and says, Go to the chariot. Now, just in that moment, again, just be real. Philip's going, Really? A chariot? Like, That's a big deal, whatever. But he just hears the guy reading the prophet Isaiah and he goes, do you understand what you're saying? The guy goes, I don't have a clue. Now, here's something you have to understand very, very clearly. Everybody that sits in this room, I'm telling you, everybody that sits in this room, regardless of where you are on the journey of faith is sitting there going, if God is real, I desperately want to hear from God. That's true of all kinds of different people. Even if you're an honest atheist who goes, I don't believe in God at all, my sense would be if there was a slight possibility that God was there, you'd go, I hope that he'd speak and show me. Regardless of where you are in your journey of faith, if we take the Bible seriously right here, we have to understand this. A craving to hear God speak Is always met personally. Your craving is a personal craving. Would he meet me? Would he speak to me? Would he help me understand? A craving to hear God speak is always met personally by Christ, always met personally by Christ through his word. Through his word. This man gets the scroll of Isaiah. He reads it. The spirit sends Philip and says, help him understand it. If you're sitting in this room and you go, I've tried to read the Bible before. I don't get it. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you understanding. And I almost guarantee you that if you pray for understanding, God will begin to show you there's incredible tools out there And there's people right in this very room that will help you begin to understand it. For us all, for us all, the Bible has to be interpreted. He's asking for the help. The Bible's very clear. The Holy Spirit is the teacher, but the Holy Spirit moves people to begin to teach. The Bible matters. The distance between me and God's speaking, me and God's revelation, me and a true word from God, not just what I sense. Not just what I feel, but the distance between me and a true word from God is the distance between me and the Bible. The distance between you all is redemption Peoria as a community together, a Christ following Christ being formed community. The distance between you and a word for God from God for what he wants from you is the distance between you all and the Bible. In this Bible, the New Testament would tell you, and it's not just the distance between you and hearing the Bible. It's the distance between you and believing and doing the Bible. You begin to know God far more as you hear and respond like Philip responded and do it. So what is the Bible then saying? What is the message that's being proclaimed through this Bible? That's so essential, that's so life-transforming, that's so world-changing, legitimately so, that really does answer these questions. He says, how could I possibly understand it unless somebody guides me? And he invites Philip to come over and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture he was reading was this. It's Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied in. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, if you just heard that read, you'd say the same thing the Ethiopian says. And the eunuch says to Philip, about whom? This is talking about someone. About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Who's he talking about? Is Isaiah speaking of himself or is he speaking of somebody else? Then Philip opens his mouth, beginning with this scripture, not ending with this scripture. He begins with this scripture because it was the scripture. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading. And he takes from the scripture and tells him about the good news of Jesus Christ. So if he began with this scripture, this scripture that's presenting somebody that was innocently led to the slaughter and his life was taken from the earth, a passage that speaks about the innocence of whoever this is. He says, this is about Jesus, an innocent man whom people we know whom, folks, I've touched actually knew in the flesh. Eyewitnesses knew this man. He was the sheep that was led to the slaughter. And he was an innocent man, but he was more than just an innocent man. And there's a reason he was led to the slaughter. Beginning with this scripture, well, where did he end? Where did he go? Well, I think like any good Bible interpreter, which doesn't mean you can't be, it means you should be, Here's a basic rule of Bible interpretation. Read what comes before it and read what goes after it. Read what's in front of it and read what's behind it. So what's in front of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8? And you say, well, Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Okay, true. Here's what that says. But he was wounded. We've heard that. Why? For our transgressions. I'm certain at that moment, the Ethiopian goes for our, for our sin. And if he's honestly seeking God, I don't think this is a man that goes, I'm not in sin. I think this is a man. And there are women out there who go, this is why I'm on my quest for God. I not, I know I'm not who I want to be. And the more I've tried, the further it seems to get. I know I'm not doing the things I want to be doing. And there's a whole bunch of things I feel like I should be doing that I'm not doing. He says, this is why Jesus was led. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And the Ethiopian goes, yes. That is what I'm after. I'm after peace. I've tried to seek peace my entire life. I thought it might come when I ended up in the Queen's Court. It hasn't come. I thought it might come that in the Queen's Court I'd have all this stuff at my fingertips. When I was younger, I thought it'd come through the relationships I'd have. I thought it might come through all of these different means, and then I was castrated, but then I watch people who do have those relationships and do have that stuff and have gone after those highs of whatever form they might be, and it's not that, but that peace, that chastisement that brings us peace, that deep peace that doesn't just exist in me but exists in the world around me, this reality that there is massive, massive fracture in the world, which creates intense fear in me, which leads to anxiety because I don't know what's in the future and all my regrets in the past lead me to the darkness of depression and the world is a total mess. I want that peace, this peace that the Bible speaking of, which includes communal peace, it includes world peace, it includes internal peace, it includes and states the world the way we all know it should be. The chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. But we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to one. Every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He then reads the passage again that the Ethiopian was already reading. And then it says this in verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why? Because God's purposes will stand. And he's bringing about the healing of the world and the healing of souls and offering it to all of us. This peace, this healing through the crushing of his son. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He had just read a passage that said an innocent man was led to the slaughter. Philip says, yes, he was innocent. But this death was not just an innocent man's death. This death was substitutionary. He was taking our place. The world's sin should crush the world. Our sin should, and at many times you may be living there, is crushing to you, and it should. Jesus was crushed so that we wouldn't have to ultimately be crushed. He was the substitute because of his love. He provided the atoning payment for our sin because you and I and everyone in the world could never pay for it alone. This is intensely personal. God wants this message to get out. So as they were going along and they came to some water, the eunuch said, see, behold, there's water. What's standing in the way of me from getting baptized. I believe this stuff. Philip goes, nothing. Get in the water. Be dunked. You've died with Christ. You've risen again. What's standing in your way from being baptized. This is not just an advertisement, folks. This is a baptism into the life of Christ, the real life, the God who everywhere all the time is actively moving, is moving and speaking to every single one of us. He's speaking to us through the stars. He's speaking to us on our drive. He's speaking to you through music, but he's speaking specifically to you in his son through the scriptures. And he's moving at a time now that many of you are going, behold, water. And there's water coming after the second service on Sunday and you can be baptized and you should be baptized because we are a community who's in Christ, which is what baptism means. And the work of God is consequential. God is everywhere active and on the move all the time in intensely personal ways. Cause this is what he's doing, but it has consequences, responsive consequences. And this Ethiopian goes, let me be baptized. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. The eunuch sees him no more, and he went about rejoicing. That word rejoicing literally means deep joy, joy unspeakable. Folks, that's what we're after. That's what we're meant to declare in a world of darkness even when the clouds are above us, is that we can be thankful in all circumstances. We can rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope will never put you to shame. That's this kind of rejoicing. He goes away rejoicing, but Philip Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and he preached the gospel to all the towns, and he came until he came to Caesarea. Now listen, that ends with Philip going, I'm doing the stuff. I'm doing the stuff. Jesus, you did it and you told me that I would do it. And here's the thing. He's calling us to do the stuff, to encounter him in real ways and then to just offer it, to be everyday normal people who are seeking the Holy Spirit, who know, Jesus, we cannot do this on our own. You told us that you're the vine and we're the branches, that if we remain in you and you and us, then and only then, We will bear much fruit, and that apart from you, we can do nothing. Spirit of God, show us. Let your voice be louder. Let your words be clearer than all the other. And then he's saying, I'll meet you. You respond. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be a responsive community. God, I pray that we would encounter the deep things of God. The real things. God, the real things. There's so many questions of people in this room. There's questions within this community. There's questions in our world. There's fear and there's anguish. God, meet us as you met this Ethiopian eunuch, as you met Philip, as you are showing us through acts that you meet us personally. But God, you meet us consequentially. Let us be these people who respond. God, whatever it is that you're speaking today, To each person in this room, God, let us know what the next step looks like. And for us, let us not wait, but let us move in response and in obedience to you. God, we want to see this stuff. So we ask you for your Holy Spirit. You promise us that you are a good father who desires to give good gifts to your children. And you tell us that the utmost thing we could ask for is your Holy Spirit. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we ask you right now, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come, in Christ's name we pray, amen.